um, of the United States. And uh, but I'd like to begin by uh, telling you a story from from Canada. Um, Canada Day was was July first, so that was on Thursday. I didn't it didn't even register with me until somebody at work told me it was Canada Day. Wish me a happy Canada Day. So um, so anyway, that was that was kind of them, but. Um, Canada's birth as a nation is much more boring than than America's. America fought, you know, a war of independence, all that intrigue. Uh, Canada, I think they just signed some papers with Britain and they had a country, and so it was very, you know, very Canadian. Uh, so, um, but maybe you've been following the the story of James Coates, who is pastor of Grace Life Church near Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, James spent 35 days in prison in February and March uh, of this year because he would not restrict the gathering of the church for worship. And that was in violation of the local laws enacted because of COVID-19. And James could have avoided jail um, had he agreed to adhere to the COVID-19 health mandates, which would have meant... um, stop gathering as a church and don't preach at these gatherings and so he refused and at his court hearing James said quote I am not a political revolutionary I am simply here in obedience with Jesus Christ it is this obedience that puts me at odds with the law uh, close quote and so he chose to go to jail rather than disobey the Lord and once he was released from jail he continued to preach at Grace Life Church to any and all who would gather with them at at their building. Um, And this continued until the local authorities uh, fenced in the church to keep the members out. So you may have seen uh, photos online of there were like three layers of of fencing around the church just to put the church in jail. Um, So um, the church then began meeting underground. and, uh, yeah, underground churches in Canada is, is something that I never expected to be saying in my lifetime, but, but here we are. But this past, past week, uh, the fences came down, and the church building was returned to the congregation on July 1st, uh, Canada Day. Not because the government saw the error of their ways or, or anything like that, but um, there was a wider reopening of the whole province of Alberta as stage three or whatever, and since large crowds will be returning to events like the Calgary Stampede, <laughs> there, there was no uh, justifiable uh, way they could, could keep this, this church locked down. Um, so this morning, uh, Grace Life Church will be able to meet in their building for the first time in about three months. And if uh, you've heard James Coates speak, you know that Christ is working to build his church through this, this whole, whole ordeal. Uh, people have been saved. Um, people have realized they're, they're not in healthy churches and have moved to healthy churches. So God, God is at work even in this, in this persecution. And uh, so we praise the Lord for, for his care for this pastor and his family and the, and the whole congregation there in Alberta. But these uh, trials and persecution reveal what we're really living for. And our priorities are exposed. Uh, will we compromise on biblical truth? Uh, when our freedom is threatened, um, our reputation, our comfort. Um, turn in your Bibles to, to Haggai uh, chapter 2. Last week we looked at 
Haggai chapter 1, and we saw the, the Lord's prophet rebuke the people of Judah for their lack of concern for rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Their priorities were, were disordered. Um, they had put their uh, own homes and, and scraping out a meager existence amid failing crops above um, the Lord's command to, to rebuild his house, uh, the temple there in Jerusalem. And Haggai spoke the word of the Lord to convict the people and show them that they were under covenant curses because of their disobedience. The Lord was the one who was behind these difficulties. He was causing their crops to fail, uh, to drive them to repentance. And he enabled them by his spirit to respond to his word and begin the work of rebuilding uh, the Lord's house. So uh, you've probably found Haggai faster this week than you did last week because we were there before. So yeah, we're getting quicker at finding Haggai. Um, And this morning we're going to hear three messages from the Lord through his prophet Haggai that encourage his people to complete his work. Three messages from the Lord that encourage his people to complete his work. These are uh, the last three sermons that we have from Haggai. Um, His ministry is brief. Like we said last week, as one commentator said, God has some men for spot jobs. And Haggai comes on the scene, speaks to the need of rebuilding God's house, and then he moves off the scene. And today we're going to look at his last three messages. His first message um, is, I am with you. And we're going to read Haggai uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Let's read 1 through 9, chapter 2. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So uh, at the very beginning, we see the date of this message on the 21st of the seventh month. And this is in the second, if we look at the end of chapter one, you see this is still in the second year of Darius the king. So about two months have transpired before his first message, and this is the beginning of his second message. And the date is important because this is the last day of the Feast of Booths. So you remember from Mike's teaching in John what the Feast of Booths was about, people built temporary structures um, commemorating the Lord's faithfulness to them in the wilderness wanderings. And it was also a harvest festival. So it was at the end of harvest time, the work was over, the crops were in, 
and this was a celebration of harvest. And so very appropriate time for Haggai's message in light of what we learned in chapter one, that their crops had largely been failures. I mean, the, the, the yield was not nearly what, what was anticipated. So they're going through this, this difficult time and he's giving this message at a, at a time of, of celebrating the harvest and celebrating God's faithfulness to them uh, coming out of Egypt. Um, but there's discouragement, um, and it's due to the comparison of this temple with Solomon's temple. And um, turn to Ezra 3. Uh, we're going to read there a scene uh, from Ezra that describes the reaction to the laying of the foundation of the temple in 537 BC. So this is like, turn back the clock about 17 years earlier. The exiles had just returned to Jerusalem and what they had done was they had uh, laid the foundation of uh, this temple and they had built an altar. And in Ezra chapter three, uh, beginning in verse 10, uh, this describes the reaction to the laying of the foundation. Ezra three, verse 10. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his favor is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout of joy when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of weeping of the people, because the people were shouting with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. So this is uh, 17 years later, uh, as we said last week, uh, because of internal discouragement and external persecution, the work stopped until the message of Haggai to begin the work of the temple again. But it had been about 60 years since the temple was destroyed, Solomon's temple. So there's still people alive who are seeing this new temple being built who remember the old temple, uh, Solomon's temple. And... um, It's nothing in comparison. Uh, Haggai doesn't even try to make that argument. He says, you know, nothing and this temple, they're the same. uh, When you compare it to the the glory of Solomon, um, of Solomon's temple, he agrees that it's nothing, um, yet he encourages the people. He tells them to take courage. Why? Because the importance of the temple in the spiritual life of Israel is not tied to the building but to the presence of the Lord. And the Lord has declared that he is with them. His spirit is with them in the same way it was abiding with them in the wilderness during their exodus from Egypt. And so they can take heart. And so they're to work. Uh, They're to work without fear. Contrast that to the work that they had been doing in in, uh, chapter 1. The work of their hands had been um, cursed. Um, they had been putting their money into purses with holes in it. Um, the Lord was blowing on their work and, and blowing it away. So from cursed work to now blessed work with, with the presence of the Lord, and that is the encouragement for them to continue this work, not to 
give in to the discouragement of those who had seen the first temple and now see this one as nothing. The next section, um, where after the Lord says his spirit is abiding in their midst, um, is uh, a difficult passage from, from verse 6 on down. Um, there's, is it talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Is it talking about Jerusalem? Um, the, there's a lot of uh, commentators that differ on this. But I think there's, there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment here. I think the near fulfillment is that the wealth of the nations would build this temple. The Lord would use the gold and silver of Persia to, uh, to build this, this structure. And so there is a sense in which um, there's an immediate fulfillment in that they're not building it with their own resources. The wealth of the nations is building it. But I think it does also point to the temple's future glory, the millennial temple built by Messiah um, that is going to bring in all nations and the wealth of all nations in uh, Christ's millennial kingdom. Hebrews uh, 12, 26 through 29 anticipates the millennial age to come, and it, it quotes this verse 6. And so I think that's why we're on firm footing here when we say this. Hebrews 12, 26. Um, actually, I'll begin reading in verse 25. You don't have to turn there. I can read it for you. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. That's a quote from our passage here, Haggai 2.6. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So this is the um, fulfillment of, of what comes next. The latter glory of this house will exceed the former. And so... Zerubbabel's temple never exceeded the glory of Solomon's, but Messiah's temple will um, exceed that glory. Um, the second sermon we have in chapter 2, um, the word of the Lord is that I will save, I'm sorry, I will bless those who obey from a pure heart. I will bless those who obey from a pure heart. So let's read this sermon in verses 10 through 19. On the 24th of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with this fold, or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priests answered, No. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priests answered, It will become unclean. Then Haggai said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now do consider from this day onward 
before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord. From that time, when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there would be only 10. And when one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would be only 20. I smote you and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it has not borne fruit. Yet, from this day on, I will bless you. One commentator says, um, perhaps more concisely than anywhere else in the Hebrew Bible, this sermon makes the point that impurity is more pervasive and more easily contracted than is purity. The people's disobedience had defiled everything they touched, even their good works and sacrifices were displeasing to the Lord due to their impurity. And this is, there's a tension here that probably shocked uh, Haggai's audience. I mean, these were the Jews that had returned from exile. These were not the people that were comfortable in Babylon. This, these were people who returned to the, to the promised land and, and were um, working to rebuild Jerusalem. They would consider themselves the faithful of Israel, not, not the defiled. Um, then they had responded. Um, his message in chapter 1 had been one to call them to repentance, to start the work, and they were doing it. They had started. So um, the uh, question that they're faced with is how can an impure people engage in a holy task? Their economic and agricultural devastation was the discipline of the Lord. So they're in a desperate condition. Um, and there's only, only one response, and that is resp- uh, a response of repentance and faith in the word of the Lord, um, that he could make them clean. This had to be a work of the Lord, as we've seen in, in John. Um, same, same in the Old Testament. It's, it's only the sovereign working of the Lord that can make an impure people clean. And so they are totally dependent on him. And thankfully, the sermon ends on an optimistic note. The good news was that the Lord, in his sovereignty, he was ready to renew his blessings on his people. Um, The curses would be removed, and um, the Lord was doing the work that he required on their behalf uh, to bless them. And the last uh, sermon is uh, in verses 20 to 23, the shortest of of Haggai's sermons in the book. And the Lord says, I will save through a new king. So let's read verses 20 to 23. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. 
for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So here we see uh, it's the, the same day as the previous sermon, but this one has a different audience. This is uh, to Zerubbabel alone. And um, Zerubbabel is governor of Judah. Um, he's not a king. He's under the authority of Persia. And so he's their chosen man to uh, administer this area of their kingdom. And uh, the Lord has a message for him that he is going to shake heaven and earth. And the Lord will save by overthrowing human power and government. He's going to, to intervene. And uh, the Lord chooses Zerubbabel as his instrument to achieve his purposes. He calls him my servant, which is a Davidic term and a, a messianic term. Zerubbabel uh, is in the line of David. So we have um, uh, going into exile, um, there's a break. And then now Zerubbabel coming in, um, the Lord making him his, his servant in the line of David. We see that he's um, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So both in Matthew and, and Luke, both mention Zerubbabel as uh, in the lineage of Christ. And um, that's interesting because uh, these things that the Lord promises, it doesn't appear that they happened in the lifetime of Zerubbabel. So he is a, um, a precursor of, of Messiah. It points to uh, Jesus Christ who will come in the future because Zerubbabel passes into obscurity. We don't know much about him. There was not any um, you know, overthrow of the nations uh, during Zerubbabel's reign, um, obviously. Um, but he is a representative figure, uh, like David, um, representative of the coming Messiah. And you'll see there's, there's no conditions placed on Zerubbabel. There's nothing he has to do to bring this about. Its fulfillment depends only on the ability of the Sovereign Lord to bring it about. And, uh, that's a quote from Richard Taylor. So the Lord is the one that's going to bring this about through the line of Zerubbabel. He says he will make him a, a signet ring. Um, and the signet ring was a symbol, symbol of uh, honor, authority, and power. And it um, would have been something you wear on your, your hand or maybe around your neck. would seal like a wax seal with a, a mark that had, had authority. And so um, the Lord is, is making Zerubbabel. Um, his his signet ring um, and his um, his offspring. So Zerubbabel is an interesting figure. He did represent renewal and restoration for the exiles returning to Judah. Um, it's uh, he's praised in Judaism. Um, him and um, him and Joshua, the, the high priest, um, in the intertestamental period, these guys are highly regarded. <clears throat> so he does represent renewal, but he points to the greater Zerubbabel to come, which is Jesus Christ. And so that's our hope, our hope for um, the future, um, as uh, the future for them, looking back on Jesus Christ and his ministry from our perspective, and then looking forward to his final second coming to establish um, his kingdom on earth. So what are some implications we can draw from our study in, in Haggai? Um, 
just in these last few minutes we have together. Um, I hope it's been a profitable study for you. Um, I know it has been for me, but one thing that really stuck out to me as I studied Haggai was um, just the challenge. Haggai challenges our priorities. Um, Matthew 6, 33 um, comes to mind, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And um, Haggai really challenges us on this point. Are we putting our own priorities above those of the Lord's work? Um, Are you distracted from kingdom work by things that have no eternal value? Um, how do you evaluate that? How would you know that? Um, for me, a, l- a lot of times it just comes down to how, how do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? How do I sp- spend my um, energies, um, whatever talents the Lord has given me? Am I doing, using those for the Lord's work or using those for selfish, s- selfish aims? I think also Haggai challenges our love of comfort and our spiritual laziness. Um, just compare like post-exilic Jerusalem with 21st century America and how Haggai rebukes those people and thinking what they came back to, um, uh, a city in ruins, um, trying to you know, make, make it livable, um, and all the comforts we have in 21st century America. Um, there's, those are blessings. Like all, those are, are good gifts from the Lord. Um, you know, the comforts we have are, are good gifts to be enjoyed, but are we living a life of self-indulgence or, or self-sacrifice? Um, I think of um, Nehemiah, uh, decades after Haggai's prophecy, he gets, gets word that of the condition of Jerusalem, and it's still in ruins. The walls are still broken down, and Nehemiah weeps at the, the condition of Jerusalem. So these people... They didn't have it easy, um, but the Lord um, expects obedience of, of his people. And so they were rebuked, uh, even though they were in difficult uh, circumstances, that they weren't putting the Lord's priorities before everything else. I think Haggai also challenges our definition of, of ministry success. And I think um, it's a good lesson for me that faithfulness is what matters uh, to the Lord. And then we leave the results to him. So they thought that the work of their hands was nothing in comparison to what the temple used to be, but the Lord encouraged them with his presence. I'm with you. Be faithful. Be obedient. Um, do the work. Um, they weren't to be passive, but, but to work hard, knowing that the Lord was with them and would reward their, their faithfulness. And... Um, Haggai also helps us look beyond present difficulty to eternal blessings in Jesus Christ. Um, The latter glory will be greater than the former glory, and um, that's what we have to look forward to, the glory of Jesus Christ, um, who is returning, and uh, returning for us, his, his bride, his church. And so what a glorious future we have to look forward to that makes the difficulties of this life pale in comparison. Um, to the rewards that are coming. And so that's such an encouragement um, from from Haggai. Any questions you guys have? I know Chris had a question last time. Did the temple get completed? And you can read Ezra for the the story of of how that all came together, but it did. Four years later, the the temple was completed. Um, Zerubbabel's temple, and then... um, 
Yeah, it's a, a, a tribute to the word of the Lord through Haggai that motivated the people to do it. Zechariah also is a contemporary of Haggai. He talks, he's speaking to the people at the same time. So an interesting time in Israel's history, but it did get completed so, by God's grace. Yes, Michael. One thought uh-huh. <clears throat> always is helpful. Um, I think a couple of your implications. Why we don't do the kingdom work um, or we're not as faithful as we want to be. I know this in my life. It's often just an issue of faith. Like I, I just don't really believe like it's that significant. Yeah. Or yeah, I'll do that until something I think more valuable comes. You know, right. I'm gonna have to sacrifice this pursuit of my life. And you just in each of these sermons um, just have promises of God. It's an issue of faith. Like, it will be accomplished. And the temple they're building is small and insignificant, yet it's significant because it's part of God's plan, which he's unfolding. And so, so often when I'm not seeking first the kingdom, um, it's a faith issue. Mm-hmm. I, just, I don't believe it's as significant, or I don't believe it will succeed, or my faithfulness is really going to matter. But this is God's plan. This is His work. Enjoy and be faithful. Amen. Rest in His promises. That's good. Amen. Yes. I like the message that um, I was given by the Lord, just talking about just kind of like something where it's very in a human understanding, where the priests were able to understand it, but then just the significance behind it, like how impossible it is for something to become holy mm-hmm. but how quick and easy it is for something to become defiled yeah. and that I feel like it resonated with them a lot there mm-hmm. but it just kind of stood out to me because it kind of like shows itself that's like a, a very common theme in the bible just yeah. showing our need for hope for Jesus right. to, to come yeah amen Good. Anyone else? I just want to say real quick, I, thought, I think what stuck out to me in the whole book was the discipline of, of God in the, mm-hmm. the, the first chapter. Yeah. How he rebukes the people and actually calls them to be unsuccessful in their pursuits. Yeah. But with the, and then you see how the book ends, and the end is holiness and righteousness for, for those same people. Yeah. And it just reminds me of Hebrews 12. When the author of Hebrews is talking about how fatherly discipline at the end of that is righteousness and holiness. Mm-hmm. You see that played out with that guy. I just thought that was a really good Yeah. Yeah, that is it's good. Um, don't despise the discipline of the Lord because uh, it's um, his instrument to sanctify us. And so no matter what we go through, you know, trials, temptations, um, difficulties, successes, they're all from the hand of a sovereign and good God. And um, he is doing his work. And so just take comfort, take comfort in that. Um, Amen. Well, uh, our time is up. So yes, somebody else? Yes. Uh, 
Yes, there's there, Herod does like a, a large renovation of the temple. So this temple is never destroyed, but it's expanded upon by Herod. And it's, it's almost considered a different temple because it's so um, changed by, by Herod's um, building project. But that Herod's temple is the one that's destroyed by the Romans. else okay let me pray for us and i'll let you go lord we thank you for uh, this time to gather as your church lord thank you for my brothers and sisters and just um, just the encouragement they've been to me just their hunger for the word lord um just pray that you would um just press your word in on us lord to um to humble us uh, to show us our need of you lord we uh, need you today, Lord, uh, as we do every day, Lord, every moment of every day, Lord. We depend on you and thank you for Jesus Christ who came through the line of Zerubbabel, who um, uh, lived the righteous life that we could not, Lord, and paid the debt we owed for our sin, Lord. And so by our repentance and faith, we, we take hold of him, Lord. We cast ourselves on him anew today. Lord, um, pray for his return, Lord. Um, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we say today. And Lord, um, just thankful for another opportunity to hear your word preached now. Uh, be with um, all those involved in the service to come, that they would point, point to you, um, and that we would um, just rejoice together uh, in your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.